Willie Nelson, Waylon Jennings, Chris Christopherson. You know, before they were legends of outlaw country, they were lost souls looking for their sound. Don't miss Mandy Moore and the new scripted Audible original, The Boar's Nest, Sue Brewer and the Birth of Outlaw Country Music. Discover the true untold story of the extraordinary woman behind the rise of outlaw country music and its biggest stars. Hear how one woman's vision in her tiny living room, far from Nashville's Music Row, became the epicenter of a musical movement. Mandy Moore as Sue Brewer in The Boar's Nest. Listen now at audible.com slash The Boar's Nest. This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. Hey, it's Bobby Bones. Hey, I just want to say thanks to everybody who has stepped up for the St. Jude kids. St. Jude's doing incredible work fighting childhood cancer. And because of donations, like the ones that you get, families never receive a bill ever from St. Jude for treatment, travel, housing, food, none of that. Help St. Jude stop childhood cancer. Become a partner in hope. Get this awesome new This Shirt Saves Lives shirt. It's going to look great on you. So join all the doctors, researchers, and me in this fight. All right, text the word Bobby. It's only six numbers to 785-833. Again, text the word Bobby to just these six numbers, 785-833. Fall in love with this girl in high school, and I get her pregnant. And it was crazy to me to know the right thing to do, you know, and to be this young and then, like, you know, I've just screwed up my future in that moment, I thought. Welcome to episode 383, John Knight, a Grammy-nominated CMA and ACM award-winning singer-songwriter. Back in 2015, John won the Triple Play Award for three number one singles in one year. He's got 15 number ones here that I know of, including Beachin' from Jake Owen, Break On Me from Keith Urban, If I Told You from Darius, this one got a Grammy nomination. Break Up in the End from Even Cole Swindell. We break up in the end. Living from Dirks Bentley. Some days a song that's on the chart now that'll probably be a number one is Gabby Barrett's new one, Pick Me Up. So pick me up. Massive, massive hit maker. He was born in Amarillo, Texas. He moved to Nashville when he was 18 with his wife and a baby. You know, he's a food stamp kid. Lived in a trailer for a portion of his life. He had a dream to go to Belmont, and you'll hear how he actually made that happen. Part-time jobs, full-time jobs, writing deals, finally. Songs recorded. I mean, he's such a good singer, too. So it's John Knight. So so many number ones. Like, I felt like after doing this, I was like, man, I can hang out with this guy. Like, I liked him like that. John Knight, episode 383. Enjoy the newest episode of the Bobbycast. John, good to see you, buddy. Hey, how are you? I'm pretty good. At this point in your career, just because I was just reading an article about uh, a chart issue from the 70s, but are you genuinely still interested in music, or has music weathered you to the point of, to, you know, maybe you don't, you're not, your interest has waned because you live it? I, you know what, I, I'll answer like this. I went to LA a couple years ago for the Grammys, and I was so interested in going behind the scenes and seeing like Universal Studios. And I wanted to see like where the movies were made and stuff like that. So my wife and I went and I was about an hour in. I was like, I hate this. I don't want to know the behind the scenes of why I love these movies so much and why I'm like so infatuated with yeah. all these movies. But like in music, it's different because it's therapy for me. I'm, I'm still I'm in love with like the high that I get. I'm not like into any other highs except for writing songs and like the day that we write a great song i'm like oh my god that'll sustain me for a while really so you yeah i still love it that's that's awesome to hear i at times okay let me switch it up then but i don't love everything that i hear absolutely (laughs) i'm not even asking that you know what i'm saying do you ever go dang i just wish i could do like a a rock project like write on some rock records or like write on some some uh, comedy stuff or hip hop track or just something because you flex the same, not this, you flex a series of the same muscles every day. Every, thousands right. of songs about the same kind of 20 subjects. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I can do that because I'm a shadow. I'm not the face. I, I'm kind of like an enigma. We get, we get to do whatever we want as writers. We're kind of lucky in that we can change our personalities musically every day. I, I went to L.A. a couple of weeks ago and wrote with Ryan, to, like Ryan Tedder's studio. A buddy of mine writes for him. We all kind of went out there and hung and wrote just crazy stuff. Was like, that refreshing to you when you say crazy stuff? As Oh, yeah. It was like a breath of just like... Mm. Almost like the the way I fell in love with country music, like living in Amarillo, Texas, everywhere you, you you're just in it, you're breathing it everywhere you go. When I would go to LA, I felt that newness and like the love of it, like I was listening to George Strait and all that stuff way back when I fell in love with what I do. But there was just like the novelty of writing crazy stuff that there's no box, there's no real. You can say whatever you want. There's no bleeping. There's just whatever the truest emotion you can possibly put in a song. Go for it. Oh, also make it like. Like as catchy as you possibly can. So, I was very, very much like, God, this is an amazing situation. And we were like six, seven songs, and three of them already cut. So, that quick. Yeah, and it was weird. For me, that has been doing sports. I, I I did sports a lot when I was younger. I did a national Fox Sports show. I covered the draft for ESPN. But for so long, I just you know I'd been doing this morning show, and. You know, we play a few songs a morning, but still, it's the same series of muscles for the most part. And you do it five days a week, five hours a day. And I was like, you know, I think I'm going to get back into sports. Now, I still do the show and love doing my show. And I love when it's a good, and I'm oh, on, yeah. and it feels great. Like you said about writing a song, it's the most fulfillment I get. However, doing the sports show has been that. Yeah, it's fun. Where it actually makes me better doing the OG thing because I... I remember, oh, this is what it feels like for it to like be super fresh and why I love doing what I do every single day. When you take a trip to L.A. or you write something, does that remind you of how, even though you do it all the time, oh, yeah, I forgot. It is really awesome. I yeah. freaking get to do this all the time. It, you come back with like, that's the magic. That I got to find the magic back in this. And music changed. Even like the last couple of years, it changed so much from like, you know, I went through like the crazy, you know, um, where everything was like truck girl broke up, you know, the bro country thing. I like came up with that. And I'm not, I mean, I'm from rural Texas on a ranch in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, that's not really what I grew up as. You know, my dad's a preacher. That wasn't my life. But it, I was able to like get into that and then change through this this whole next phase. And I'm still like amazed that, you know, I'm even here doing this craziness. But, Are you though amazed? Or yeah. are you amazed that it's still being done the same-ish way? I, f I understand your sentiment because I'm like, okay, this is crazy. I'm amazed. I get to do this show for 200 cities, and I just grew up a poor kid in Arkansas, and I get to make all this money now. And But then <laughs> yeah. it's, you know what? I've worked really hard. I've worked really strategic. I have taken big risks. I have figured it. So I'm amazed, but I'm also like, yeah, this is what happens when hard work, a little bit of being fortunate, a little bit of being around the right people come together. Yeah, and I think me and you both have done something that is hard to do and continue to do. It's like I write songs that I think are like my life as mm -hmm. as much as I possibly can. You Your show is your life, and you guys like are way too open, and like there's a big diary of the last 20 years of you online and everything. It's it's amazing, but it also makes us like we're listening every morning. We're like we're not as alone. When I write a song, I want to write something that's real, like where I feel the same from, way, yeah. yeah. Where it's like, I wanna, oh, I, I felt that. Yes, like that's a good song to me. Whenever I go, that person's speaking for me, and they don't even know they're speaking for me. Yes, like if I if I have I've messed up a lot of my life, like big and small, and like all different ways. But I'm putting them in in the songs, you know, and like that's the only ones that ever make it through. All these other formulas, you know, with the exception of like some are fun and they'll make it, but most of the time it's the real stuff that I'm living with my buddies, or you know, all of us are just kind of like puking on the page and bleeding right there on in the lines of the songs and that's what makes it cool to me when i'm listening and yeah maybe that's why pop is going through a similar thing in that vein where i'm like oh these are like sound like real things that are happening to these people and and pop's going through that vein too where it's very descriptive like overly descriptive yeah and almost to a funny mm -hmm. <laughs> like the color of the brand of tennis shoe on the exact street corner that they yeah. got it on a tuesday and yeah. that's fit into the lyrics and yeah. it's like oh wow well, that was clunky but now it's so honest yeah it's now i like it it doesn't feel made up because it's like too 
Mm-hmm. It's almost too fake to be made up. It's got to be real. There's got to be re- real stuff in that. I ask about the, the music part, but when I walked in, because I was, again, this article I was reading was about artists who, and I do find myself being genuinely, I still just love the history of music more than I do the current of music because I live in the current. I got current coming at me every day, yeah. all directions. And maybe 10 years I'll like this, I'll, I'll appreciate this more yeah. of now. But um, I love the history of music. And I was reading this article about these artists who only got to number two on the Billboard chart, but they had written number ones for other people. And the, the Billboard chart is, is a different monster than the country chart, where the country chart, they almost, it's too, I'm not going to say easy, but they give away too many ribbons, I feel. Gotcha. I got in trouble for saying that, big time, big time. But I was like, because these record labels talk to each other, and they decide who's going to get the one here, who's going to get the one there, and some of the songs should be number one for a lot longer than that. Yeah. And some shouldn't even crack the top ten. So it's I got crazy. I got in a bunch of trouble. <laughs> it is what it is. It's behind the Oz's curtain. You're just like, yeah. whoa, wait, wait. I'm seeing stuff. And they got, everybody got pissed. It was a, <laughs> it wasn't great. Anyway, so uh, for example, Bruce Springsteen. I did not know that on his first album, and I wasn't a big. I'm not a big Bruce Springsteen guy, and that makes me not cool because I know Bruce people like Bruce. I like the hits, but he wrote "Blinded by the Light," wrapped up yeah. like, and the guy who I and. When he put it out, it was not a hit. But like Manfred Mann's Earth Band put it out, went to number one. It's and crazy. he ever only got to number two on the chart, Bruce Springsteen. That's unbelievable. Never got to number one, which to me is also crazy. There was another, Bob Dylan did it twice. And the only song that he ever had get to number one was one he wrote. And so I'm reading, I'm, I'm kind of trogging through this article and I'm just like, wow, this is so cool. This is so amazing. And I, I catch myself sometimes going, man, I'm still really into music. This is super cool. Yeah. And I love those moments where I go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I still love music. Because oh, yeah. a lot of times I don't. Well, I've, I've, I've gone through seasons where I just, the grind of this whole thing is, is, you know, you write thousands of songs and three become hits. But I was reminded, I was with uh, uh, Edwin McCain a couple weeks ago. We, we opened up. I love a, that dude. Dude, amazing. I love that dude. Yeah. I, I was with him and we opened for Old Dominion. Um, and they're okay Colorado. guys. They kind of suck. But yeah, they're right. they're just terrible, terrible guys. Yeah, terrible. <laughs> but we uh we had a day where we were like skiing with kids that had cancer, and then we had a day sometime where it was just me and him. Edwin and I were just skiing together and like talking about real life and like I was asking about like the '90s and like I was so into his voice as like just a singular instrument. It was inspiring to me. And I'll be was like my daughter. One of her first songs she sang when she was like three years old. She just screamed at the top of her lungs. I just remember that being such a magical part of like oh yeah this was like a huge hit and uh so i'm singing i was like dude you still like you sang it better than i've ever heard you sing it tonight in front of all these people and he's like yeah you know it, he just made me realize that like it is magic i mean sometimes you just strike magic and you can't like describe when it's coming you, you just have to show up and then he's been singing the same song for 30 years and knows it's magic and has there's no bones about it he's like yeah i'm i'm in I, I love doing it. Every night I do it. I can't not do it every, anywhere I go, you know? And it's, probably sometimes he doesn't want to do it. Oh, it's so freaking high. Can you imagine singing that every night? I'm talking cool. about just singing it all the time. Yeah. But he also, I, I bet you go through phases too, where it's like songs massive, you want to play it all the time. But then you're in that middle stage where it's like, God, I don't want to play this song. I have other stuff I want to do. But then you kind of appreciate once things don't go arrow straight up. You're like, man, I really just yeah. should have loved and appreciated that lightning in a bottle. That we and I think he's there now. Yeah, he's appreciative of it. Yeah, and I follow my TikTok. He's, he's hilarious. Yeah, he just. Yeah. How did you guys become friends? Uh, we were. I don't know. I think we were just doing these little rounds. Like, so sometimes like these songwriter city people, like Mike, who put this all together for us, will we'll be like, "Hey, can you come do a private gig?" And I met him on one of those, and uh, we just kind of like hit it off. And the next year, we were supposed to do the same gig, and his his uh, I think his father died or his mother died, and we all sang "I'll Be" and sent a video to him. So we just kind of like we've just kind of become buddies for yeah. you know. So he's coming to town. We're riding with Lee Bryce next week or a couple weeks from now. He's just that's cool. Just, and for me, I don't know how, how old are you? Forty two. Okay, same right. So yeah. we're same age. We heard the same music. Yeah, influenced by the same things for the most. We got Napster. Yeah, right. We're that first generation yeah. that was able to grow up on tapes and CDs, and we have digital music. We got to experience all that, right? And so Edwin McCain, when I first met him, 
I was geeking out a little bit. I'll be honest. I'm supposed to be cool. I'm not cool. Oh, yeah. I'm not cool ever, really. But sometimes I play cool. But with him, I just couldn't be that cool because when I was a kid, I went to see him at Washtenaw Baptist University, just him and a horn player. That was the whole show. But I was such a big fan that I was probably geeking out a little too much. And he's like, why are you geeking out on me? I'm like, it's freaking Edwin McCain. Yeah. And when you were <laughs> killing it, like that's when I was me and consuming everything. You ever get around somebody like that where you're, they're like, why are you geeking out on me? You've done so much, but you're still like, man, I'm a super fan. Oh, man. Uh, there's there's two times I've geeked out like really hard, and Jeffrey Steele was one, and he's a songwriter. So it's not like I shouldn't be, but I just respect the songs he's done so much that when I first got an opportunity to meet him, I was like, oh, dude, I don't even want to go over there. Um, and then the other ones, like I met John Mayer and uh, Garth Brooks. And Garth Brooks, I met him at a, an ASCAP thing. I know that's not like a small guy to be freaked out about but he he was like really late to sound check and we were all playing on the same show and i'm like this dopey songwriter guy that like shouldn't be on the show anyways but i'm playing and he i'm waiting for an hour 30 minutes till he shows up and he doesn't show up so i'm i'm sitting there like god we gotta i mean i gotta get somewhere and we're about the show's like way behind and he shows up and he's like guys i'm so sorry i was stuck in traffic um go ahead and sound check because i it's my fault you know i was just sitting there in traffic so I sound checked my song, Break Up in the End, and uh, we sit there, and Garth stands at like two feet away from my face, and like standing on the edge of the front of the stage, looking at me, just like rubbing his belly, just being all, you know, Garthy and awesome. And I was just like, I can't, I can't do, (laughs) I don't know if I can Mm -hmm. do this, man. That dude was like everything for me growing up. Like, my sister got tickets when, when I was like 10 years old to go to, Garth Brooks and Amarillo and from a friend of hers. And then at the last minute, she she gave them away to her boy, you know, and I was like, <laughs> she was going to take me. And I literally was like crying as a little kid. So to be sitting there sound checking and Garth's like, oh, that's pretty good, you know. Yeah, Garth's awesome. Yeah, he's he was like the real deal. So And and my experiences with him evolved. I just keep waiting for him to, that to crack, honestly, because he's su- such a, I mean, he's the biggest. Yeah. If you're just talking data, he's, biggest selling american artist of all time yeah. he's a 10 time diamond 10 time diamond diamond yeah like the biggest song i ever had is like seven million or something 10 time diamond and probably records yeah so wow which is which is just i don't know no one will touch that ever probably. no because he was massive and now everything is so fractured obviously yeah. it's one song instead mm-hmm. of the album and when you talk about garth's hanging out saying i was late to traffic or late with the traffic we he had me come out and open uh, a show, Razorback Stadiums, 90,000 people, 100,000 people. Well, he calls for, he texts me first from a number I didn't recognize. I thought I had Garth's number. Apparently, he has like eight numbers. He has one, yeah, <laughs> who knew? For every area code. And he's like, hey, man, <laughs> why don't you come out and open for me here? And I'm like, who is this? It was April, the day before April Fool's Day, right? And he's like, perfect. yeah, it's Garth. Come open for me. It's 90,000 people at Razorback Stadium. And I'm like, ah, shut up. Who is this? Yeah, this ain't Garth. 90,000. And then I'm just like, nah, hey, look, if this is really Garth, call me after the show. You know I'm on the air. I didn't think it was Garth. But yeah. then he freaking calls. Hey, man, it's Garth. First thing he goes, hey, you vaccinated? What? That was the first question. I'm like, yeah, I sure am. He's like, well, then here's my question. You want to come? He was, but he's just such a normal dude. When we were in sound check, he came out and hung out. But I didn't want to, I didn't want to play yeah. I wanted him to get off stage. I wanted him to go away because yeah. I was embarrassed. Yeah, me too. No, you're actually good. That's the <laughs> difference. I would be like, but I was like, Garth, you should go because I don't. I want you to realize what you did by having, you yeah. know, me come out and do this. You might rethink it. If yeah, you, if you stay too long in soundcheck. There's Mike over here, me here. You. I think we all kind of grew up with a trailer foundation. I lived in either trailer parks or a trailer that was dragged to the top of a hill more times than not. Dude. So Amarillo, Texas, tell me about your upbringing, where and how you live, that kind of stuff. So my, uh, my upbringing is literally like ridiculous, but um, really sheltered. My dad was a preacher early on, and we lived at a, a ranch for like disadvantaged boys and outside of town, probably 40 miles outside of Amarillo, called uh, Cal Farley's Boys Ranch when I was, Little kid, I, might, I remember like being in rodeos and like wrestling with these, you know, wild kids and a lot of them orphans and several hundred kids lived on this ranch. It was a working ranch. And then, you know, we just didn't have any money ever. I, I just, I remember always having like this 
like this feeling of, you know, I don't know if we'll ever make it out of this oppression that poverty is. I, I read your book and it was, I like cried in certain parts because I just have blocked most of that out. Because you felt it probably. I, I felt That's it like when so I about hard. a song, it's like, I felt, I felt yeah. it. Yeah. I just remembered, you know, you know, and, and for a while my dad was like called to be a preacher, but then he has this family, three kids and we have no money. He's making 16, 17 grand a year and we're living in this little flat outside of town and like, 40 miles away from everything, a truck that breaks down all the time. And I remember him getting a real job and moving into town. And I remember him, like, selling cars. And then he was running a car dealership for a while. And then the better his our life became, the less I had a dad. And I just remember mm. specifically at the end of his, like, you know, I was 10 years old, 9 years old, and he was working 90 hours a week to make us, to get out of that, you know? And then I learned one thing when... When he was, he went over and did like a mission trip to Russia when I was like 10, 10, 11 years old. And he came back just completely changed. I remember he came back and said, you know, when they went over, they said there's not a lot of food in Russia. It was right before the fall of communism. It was just crazy time where, um, you know, Gorbachev was like about to have a coup come after him. But they didn't know that. They were just going over there, you know, putting suitcases full of New Testaments and covering them in T-shirts that said, you know, trying to hide them and bring them over. But they said to dad, hey, bring some food because you're not going to have food there. You're literally wow. going to have to pack food from what we've heard. So they got over there and and he said that he would go to these lines outside the grocery stores and it'd be like two blocks long of people trying to get in and there'd be two shelves of bread, nothing. And so when he was over there, he started, you know, giving out a Bible and they didn't really want the Bible. So he's like, well, I have food. And uh, when he came back, he had all this stuff that he traded because they were so proud they didn't want to just take the food. So he was like, well, here's a can of peanut butter. And so one of the soldiers he was talking to took the peanut butter and went up, grabbed the Russian flag, the USSR flag, off the pole, folded it up, gave it to my dad and said, here, I'll trade you this for the peanut butter. And then he took his hat off. And the next day, another guy took his watch off. There was a USSR-issued watch. And I just remember him coming back to Amarillo. Number one, we had a great life at that point, I thought. Um, and he was just like, I can't keep doing this. I'm missing out on your life. Uh, I feel like I'm called to be a preacher. And this, the fact that you go over there and that the life is such that they would trade their flag of their country for a can of peanut butter is crazy. Um, so I just remember him at that point, like starting over and he's like, I need to quit this. Um, we lost all everything. And eventually we became like a preacher and we, lost the house that we had, the nice car, everything. We kind of went back to square one and nothing. But I was, like, kind of proud of him for, like, starting over in the middle of his life, which most people don't do because he was miserable and he was missing his kids' lives. And I was just like, dude, that's later on in life. I look back, I'm like, dude, that is amazing to be. He was running Don Judd Dodge at the time, working 80, 90 hours a week. And, and then he goes from that to making 20 grand. And get, we're getting shipped all around the country to California you know, just tagging along, trying to find a little church that would allow him to preach and that kind of thing. So I think I'm here and I'm thankful for that because, you know, he showed me you can like start over at any time. We get back to Texas when I was in high school and I was like wild, you know. So I had my sweet, sweetheart girl. I have, I still am hanging with her. But Crystal, I met when I was 15. And by hanging with her. I've been married. Yeah. yeah. I, by, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I want everybody to know what you mean by hanging. You yeah. mean be married or Just hanging out. Yeah, yeah, just hanging. <laughs> no, we've been, we've been hanging for a while. <laughs> we were in choir together. You know, we were like super, super cool. We weren't like all state choir nerds or anything like that. But we, I met her on this, you know, and we're back to being like dirt poor in Amarillo, Texas. And I'm living with like 800 square foot house, kind of that kind of thing. But Super happy. My parents are happy, and they're working at a church, quite a big church in town. And I fall in love with this girl in high school, and I get her pregnant. And it was crazy to me to know the right thing to do, you know, and to be this young. And then, like, you know, I've just screwed up my future. You know, I had I aced all my SATs and all this kind of stuff, so I had a lot of opportunities. And then I just saw myself just kind of wreck it all in that moment i thought you know so and my dad he's a preacher and i go into him and say i bet i got bad news you know we're pregnant and uh, i'm 15 or 16 at the time and uh, i remember him just crying 
and not being mad at all. Just being like, we're here for you, whatever you need. Just if you want to get married, if you don't want to get married, we don't care. We're here for you guys. I think, you know, this is going to be a massive change, but I just was so enamored with the way he loved me. And, you know, it it made me be like, okay, I have to, this is an amazing dad I have. I'm so thankful for this, this dude that hasn't, because I think I would probably have been pissed. Probably screamed at my kid and knocked him upside the ball cap and be like, you're, you know, but he just did it with such love that I was really affected by it. And then he was very proud of us. And my, we had a baby there, and I was in high school and finished high school and worked, like, you know, from 12 to 7. I worked at a plumbing company, and I just really scraped by and, you know, had four or five jobs before that even. But I remember specifically he got fired from the church because he was so forgiving, and we were so public about it. And I was, you know— He got fired from the church? He got fired from the church. So then it was just one of those things where I was, you know, we're sitting there— he doesn't have a job anymore. We're all living in his house. And uh, we, he was just, you know, it was bad. It was bad. We, I mean, bankrupt. The whole thing was just all evaporated in, in front of us. And I just felt like this a massive amount of guilt. It was my fault because, I, you know, in that kind of Southern Baptist world that we lived in, it was just not a good situation right. for me to be this, you know, wild, you know, 16-year-old kid who liked music and Do making you- out with girls. As a dad now, I would have to think that that season with your father, who was very supportive at a time that was hard for everyone, I would think as you get older, this is just me assigning my perspective to yours, that it's just, you just respect it and like cherish that so much now that you understand it as an adult even more, even though then you did as well. But now it's got to be a whole different version of you like loving him and and uh, i i can't put yeah. words to it because i don't it's it's so much emotion yeah I, I would just cry it's crazy i'm so thankful that he reacted the way he did and and he suffered great loss and you know he went on to he moved when i was 17 he moved to california they started and i was just emancipated and living my own life you know with my baby and my wife and then years later he told me about my granddad and one of the reasons he was so loving towards me was, you know, my granddad came over from Germany. He was or actually Poland, Germany. And he, when he was a kid, his dad left. He was an alcoholic. His dad left. And so my grandfather's mom had to give them up for adoption for a couple of years just to be able to figure out. When they came back from Poland, she was here. Dad left. She couldn't work. She didn't know English hardly. She had to learn English and go get a job. So for two years, my granddad was in an orphanage with his sisters. And he kind of told me that, and it made more sense to me. He's like, I don't want you Mm. to be like granddad. I don't want this to end like that. I want you to, you know, it it makes sense now, like, why he was so loving. And then he's, you know, he gets it. Is your dad still alive? Yeah. Yeah, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, he lives in Franklin. He was a He's here? Yeah, I moved him. Actually, yeah, we moved him. He retired. He broke his back, and then he's had a lot of health issues lately, so he was kind of forced into retirement. So I, I found a house, and I just was like, you guys come stay. I was going to have him move in with me, and my wife was like, you realize we're never going to have sex again if they move in. So, <laughs> so we, we made alternate arrangements you and your very wife. quickly, and I'm thankful for that because yeah. I think it's very healthy for someone who's been married for as long as we have that we still even do stuff like that. It's crazy. You and your wife have been married for, if that's the case, how long? 25 years. I got a 25-year-old daughter. So, Okay, that's, that's pretty uh, fun. That's, yeah, pretty that, fun. That's, that's, I say that's wild, but my mom was 15 when she had Yeah. You know? Yeah. But when I think back as that as a kid, she wasn't young because she's my mom and she's older. Yeah. But then when I get older... And I'm like, that would be like... You would have like a 20-year-old right now, or, you know, or... No. Yeah, no, I would have the same as your... Yeah, you'd yeah. have 26 I'd have a 26-year-old. Yes, my, my wife's 31. So... Uh, Man. That's... And it's weird. It's weird. My uh, my daughter's boyfriend's 30. <laughs> so I'm like, this is messed up. Something is like... I feel wrong. I feel old and young at the same time. That's What's wrong crazy. with me? Yeah, yeah. So uh, you move here at 18. Yeah. You're, you're, you have a baby and a wife. Yes. When did you get married, by the way? How old were you? 
Um, we had to sign it off. Like, my dad had to sign me to get married at 17. Okay, so when you're— Right before he left. Really? Or 16, yeah. Does he do that? Is that part of the emancipation pro- uh, yeah. uh, process? Not proclamation <laughs> yeah, process? When, when we go to get married, he has to be there and literally, like, so make sure— Otherwise, it might have been, like, technically, like, my wife's much older than me. She's, like, eight months older. So it might have been a little legal trouble, you know what I mean? <laughs> you're 18 and you move here. Why? Why? Yeah, exactly. If I'd have known how hard it was, I wouldn't have. But I just told her, I was like, we're, we're already destitute poor. We were looking at houses that were like, I was working at a plumbing company. And there was a house that was like 20 grand in the ghetto in, that, in Amarillo. And I was like, I don't know if I can do this. This is my life. I can see my whole life here. This is me. I'll be a plumber. I'll make, you know, 14 bucks an hour. And, you know, that'll be our life. But if we go to Nashville, at least we, maybe we could do something we enjoy doing. That was all. That was my, I want to do something in a musical world that I enjoy doing. What were you enjoying doing musical, though, in Amarillo? Like, what were you already doing at 17 where you thought maybe I could find something I like? I don't know. I mean, my, my family's really good, at, like, way better than me at music stuff, so... Did they, you play in church or sing in church? They, yeah, from, like, five. They would have me singing, like, harmonies and... And did you take to harmony. it pretty easy? Did you under... Uh, oh, yeah. It was super easy for me. Did you play guitar, piano, young? I played violin because that, that's wow. what they needed in the family band i think or something i don't remember but and if you can play violin can't you pretty much play anything yeah i'm not good at violin but i i was uh, i could play guitar pretty well and piano i was just i would always my mom had a great she was a great pianist so i'd fool around on like an old piano she had and did you know that you could make money in nashville other than being a singer like what did you know at eight i just think of me at 18 i didn't even know songwriting I, was a thing i did not know i just knew that i applied to Belmont on like this crazy whim and I was like well I can go to college there and then maybe I can do something like accounting and behind the scenes in music or mm, like got sell t-shirts on the road or I, I really didn't know I didn't know the songwriting was a thing I had no idea like I thought Dominaria when I was a kid I was like these guys are geniuses this is all their songs they're they so good all this, yeah. yeah and Garth the same way I didn't realize it was that was like a profession at all I never even like. When did that happen though? Where you did learn that was a profession? That you oh, shortly after moving here, I was like, okay, this is this could happen. There were several people. I was like, lucky to be in Josh Turner's class early on, and I saw him get a record deal when he was like twenty something, you know. And I, I was like, okay, so you and he was writing songs with other people, and a lot of people were getting publishing deals where they're making like thirty grand a year. I was like, this is amazing. But how do you even get in a class? So you move here, you're 18. And I know my class, It's it, we all got here at the same time doing different things, but Dan, Shay, before they were Dan and Shay, right? I knew those guys. And yeah. So, but there's a whole group of us that came in and we were all just like, what the heck is, what do we do here? What do we do now? We're in Nashville doing different things. Yeah. But we came at the same time. And that's what I really remember about moving here, these other people that had just kind of started too. And, but I knew what I, when I got here, I was already an adult, but I knew what I was doing. If you're 18 or so and you just moved to town, one, do you find a house or an apartment? And then where do you start? When I was moving here, I, I was at the last minute was not going to come to Nashville at all. I was just going to stay in Texas. And a friend of mine who was going to Vanderbilt, which luckily he was a friend here and he kind of scouted this place out. I told him I couldn't afford to go to Belmont because I got like, I think I had 2000 bucks a year I needed or something like that. It was pretty much full scholarship. Because I got lucky on my SATs, and then I sang for him, and they were like, "Yeah, you're in choir. You can you can have a vocal scholarship." So, you know, I came here, and I was like, "I can't do it." I tried. I looked at it. I was looking at all the figures, and I was like, "This is crazy. I can't do this." So his dad called me and said, "What do you need? There's a check waiting. Just come by and get it. Whatever it is, I don't care how much it is." I was, and th- at the time, I was making six bucks an hour. I was like, "It's thousands of dollars a year. You don't understand." And he's like, "I don't care. Just come by." And He's the only reason I'm here. So when I got here, I had that one friend, you know, in Vanderbilt world. And then I quickly was just immersed in the music classes I was taking. And those so the classes, class at school. Yes. I thought you meant like the class because I have no. like a class. You, a literal class. Literally in so my. So you were, Josh Turner was in class with you? He was in my vocal seminar. Yeah. There were four people in that thing that ended up getting, quitting school and getting like, you know publishing deals or whatnot it's a couple of christian artists and before the mics came on you were like yeah somebody's in my class who sucked and got a record deal that was josh turner <laughs> he didn't say that i'm just kidding. dude i'm just kidding I've, you know what he could make it rumble the seats there was not like a dry seat in the whole room at that time it was just like so amazing his big voice and then i would get up there and i'm like all raspy and tinny and so that's how you create a music community literal school that was for that's, me yeah. Yeah. yeah so you see people doing it which yeah. then tells you that you can do it 
Yeah, and then I, I thought it would just be easy. I like they gave us these opportunities to try out to be on records for. I was on a record for Glenn Campbell when I was a little kid, like eighteen or nineteen. I show up to the studio and I have no idea what I'm doing there. There's pizza there, and I was like, "Oh, this is amazing!" the The little record was like a Christmas record and got a Grammy nomination. I'm nineteen. I'm like, I'm Grammy nominated. You know, this is the easiest ever. But um, I never got further than that because I was working at Sears and working at you know apartment complexes and getting fired from jobs. And my wife was running; she was throwing drinks down a bar in Antioch, and so I never was able to expand on that and go and like get a publishing deal immediately. So when I got out of school, it was I was did one internship for Zamba Music, and it was about to close down. So I just I bailed, and I was like I quit for years. Did, did you want to? Did you want to sing? though because i your, your voice is so soulful and i'm sure that you get compared vocally to a lot of people i don't I, know if you're going to be uh, think it's a good comp, uh, compliment or an insult like when you sing because i've heard you sing uh like uh daryl hall like that that tone that soulfulness yeah. that kind of doesn't match but it does so it's awesome yeah like i feel that from you a little bit and so because you could do that is that what you wanted to do i was very, I was honestly grateful to even be in Nashville. I didn't care. I was never, there never was a moment where I was like, really, I want to be a star. Because I knew that I had screwed up so many times in so many ways that just to be able to do this, I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm thankful to be able to write songs for other people and let other people. And I've got such anxiety. I can't imagine. I did like a Chase Rice deal where I opened up for Chase for a whole season and it was, um, I was mortified to go out in front of like 5,000, 6,000 people every night. But not really. You're being, oh, no. you're being humble here. No. I was like trembling. My hands were just like trembling behind them. And then I would get out and it'd be fine and I'd, it would go well and, you know. But. I just have a hard time having heard you sing. And I, I hope you think that the Daryl Hall reference is, oh, I'm, feels... It's you know, amazing. Yeah. Having heard you sing at like rounds and... yeah. That you would go out and be, and mental health has nothing to do with the reality of it. Yeah. It really does. I mean. No, it's you, different. But still, when you see someone that's so good and they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm scared to go do what I'm really good at. I just wish I had something I was good at. And I'm just like, <laughs> what? How can you be good at it and be scared to do it? And I'm over here. I'm a Swiss army knife, half dull, trying to find anything to do. Dude. Uh, where, where does that anxiety come from? Were you an anxious kid or? Oh, yeah. I was like massively obese as a little kid i was like 150 pounds in fourth grade so I'd, i had these all these struggles that i was just like coping with that until i was an adult and then i was you know i'm still struggling with it and trying to keep healthy all the time and working out like crazy because my metabolism is just zero but that's not really that you know when i my first publishing deal i turned in 10 songs they took it to the record labels and all the record labels said no and a lot of them said no because i i was 25 and i had no hair i shaved my head so I just thought, well, God doesn't want me to do this. And I, I was really, it was easy for me to be like, okay, I'm a songwriter. That mm-hmm. I, was, I was never meant to be that. And I was pretty at peace with that. And every time these things come up, like uh, they had a ca- capital a couple of years ago, I was like, you should do a record. I would love to do a record. And I, was, I thought I was joking because we were at a bar. And I was like, yeah, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, someday, we'll, yeah, that's great. But I just don't know that my soul is meant to do that. Do you think, though, if you'd have had, and this is both a compliment and a question, but again, I'm going to say it one final time. You're such a good singer. Your, your vocals are, are, the texture is a little different. It's, it's awesome. If you would have gotten a bit of positive feedback, just a bit. I probably would have done it, yeah. So a lot of that is based on what you felt the reality was off a of few. Do you wish you would have pushed through that situation looking back? I'm a big fan of like the gold you know, Rush era where they have like Parker Schnabel up on Gold Rush Alaska and that TV show and like all the guys from, I I read a lot about just weird stuff, but like in San Francisco, all the people that made all the money were not the people that were the ones holding the nugget in their hand, you know, in the river. They were the people that were selling them shovels and they were the people that were their auxiliary. Um, And they weren't digging in the ditches. They were home at night, sleeping in the bed with their, you know, beautiful wife and having their families. And the other people were out there on the mountain digging and and losing sleep and like coming up bloody but they had the nugget but the other people made it possible for that's a, these that's stars a great analogy. to a, do their thing yeah that's i mean that's an awesome analogy because i was like yeah that's stupid but no now that makes 
all the sense in the world. So I'm, I help, I help people to be stars, and that's awesome. Do you want I to be famous? It. Do you want? Would you want to be famous? No. You answered that so quickly. I'm no. asking again. No, 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 dude. I'm telling you. You don't. The only be- way I would, if I could be like Stapleton famous, where it's like, do your own thing, not really have to fit into this. Any, you just kind of whatever your soul. Mm-hmm. Follow the sail that you you know wind blows and do your thing. Yeah, I, that's cool. But I, other than that, I like going to Target and nobody knowing, nobody caring. It's fun. So when you play a show, if you're playing, let's say you're playing a writer's round, and you're playing your songs, I mean, are you getting fulfillment from that? Yeah, it's fun. It's a high. Is it to tell your? It's verse? about as high as. It's it's almost as high as writing a great song, but it's like right below it. It is below it. Though. Yeah. Even with like 5,000 people, it's pretty cool. You've convinced me. I didn't believe it at first, but you've yeah. convinced me. It's but, good, dude. It's a good life. Oh, I'm not disagreeing with you. I've just, I, I know the songs you've written. <laughs> <laughs> I know the lives. You're doing pretty good. Yeah, it's all right. You have any number twos? I have several number twos. I think um, one of them that hurt a little bit was with uh, Chase Rice. I think it was called Gonna Wanna Tonight. And I had uh, another song that was on the chart that was the strip it down song for luke bryan mm-hmm. and i pro- i didn't know how things work behind the scenes but i think had i been smart i'd be like called somebody on luke's camp and be like i have the next one up but it just sat there and knocked it down so and i've had several that didn't go all the way i had like you know it's a pretty good problem though i have the next one up dude I, it's unbelievable it's unbelievable i have one right now that i don't know what's gonna happen with the gabby song that i love so much oh it's gonna do great Okay. Yeah, it's gonna be great. You just never, you never know. And and it's I don't really know either because I don't really do anything with the programming side of it. But our show has such a big imprint that I can play something and I can see the difference. And also, my management is Gabby's management. Like, oh, I gotcha. We're <laughs> Gabby and I work together on American Idol. You know, yeah. but I hope was a uh, that was a you deal. Oh yeah, that thing. It's crazy. Golly, that was it. Was nuts. crazy. Like it, just from my world, it was crazy twice. And I tell you, there are only a few songs that I ever hear the first time and go, oh, I didn't expect that. That's awesome. And it's catchy as crap. And that was one of those songs because I was just flipping. Uh, maybe I was on satellite or on the radio. I don't know. But I hear, I hope, yeah, I hope he does all this. I hope he did good stuff. And I'm like, all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, good. This is, oh, good look, Gabby. I've been on Gabby forever. Good for her. Good. Let's see what this does. I hope. And then I hope he cheats. Oh, holy crap. I, was n- I did not expect that. <laughs> it's so funny. So only one of the few that that's happened where I'm like that is fresh and so I want to talk about this version of the song before I talk about it going over to pop and what Charlie did to it but who is it who, who did you write that with so it was Gabby Zach Kale and me on like the day before Halloween or Halloween but I had Zach, Zach was I was trying to get him to sign over at Sony I was trying to like somehow big brother him and be part of his life and like help him and advise him so i had him over and that's how i found about gabby he w- he was at church with her or something like singing he had on his phones her singing like a sound check at church and that's how i heard her voice i didn't hear it on american idol i was just that he was at my house mm. eating dinner he was like check this girl out. she's amazing and i was like that is a great she's like i thought she was a black girl she had mm. so much soul i was like wow this is insane so I said, let's write it with her one afternoon. And that was it? That's how it was? That's how it was. It wasn't somebody about. from like the... No. Because, again, my management team went and like got her rec- gotten shopped, like yeah. did the thing. Oh, yeah. And even think, when she was living in Pittsburgh, like I was doing a stand-up show in Pittsburgh and her and her sister and her dad, they all came to the show. Yeah. And I was like, Gabby, you, do, you have to move to Nashville. And I think on this show I told her that before she moved down you here. Did. Yeah. I was, she was like, I don't have to. In her, like she's from <laughs> Pittsburgh, but she still does a, like an effect... On her voice, She's like I don't have to move down there. Like Luke says, I'm, I'm like, no, no, you, I don't have to. Yeah, you have to, Gabby. <laughs> and then she moves down, and you see a video of all things, and that's how she gets in a room with you. Yeah, it's weird. I was asking him what artists. I was like, Zach, what artists are like? What do you love? Because I don't know of any new stuff that I really am excited about. We should just find something you love and and like dive in and like really embrace it. And the first song we wrote was I hope. And it was me and him, and Zach's like our age. He's like a dude, you know, yeah. he's got kids. And so I'm sitting over here looking, like me and you and Gabby, who's 12 at the time or 18 yeah. or something, you know, like two old dudes and Gabby. And we're like talking, let's write I Will Always Love You. We're like something, she has such an amazing voice. Let's just like, you know, 
acting like she's not in the room. She's like, uh, boys, we're girls are not that nice. Can we like not do that much lovey dovey thing? You know, and that's how the impetus from the first you know handful of lines that we had, we kept them, and then we just flipped it and made it the chorus, so that we were like, oh yeah, we're writing all these nice things. Let's just keep them nice all the way till the end, and then we just stumbled into it. And I hope he cheats, you know. Whenever that comes out, whomever, do you guys go, oh, my God, that's it? Yeah. Or do you go, I don't know, it's so weird, so different. You knew. I was so, like, I was like, I know in my gut that girls will scream this at the top of their lungs and, like, throw their water bottles out the window. They're so mad at an ex. I was, like, so, and I was, I just saw it. I never know. I didn't know about whatever she's got. I don't know any any of the other half other songs. I didn't know about We Were Us or any of those other songs. Like when they were done, I wasn't like this is it. But that one we got done, and we're like at the Sony uh, writer rooms. There was like a pool table. We're like hanging out by the pool table afterwards, and and Zach was like, "This is pretty good." And Gabby's like, "I know." And I was like, "No, this one's like this is not pretty good. This is like one of the best songs I've ever written." I'm telling you this. I don't know how I know. I just felt it, and they were laughing. They're like, "Yeah, yeah." I was like, "Y'all, I'm not joking." Because I just had gotten a number one for uh, Breakup in the End, like right when we wrote this. And so they were they were like, yeah, I'm sure, whatever. And then I I was behind the scenes, like calling everybody. I called Ross Copperman. I called everybody, Tom Lord. Just don't let this one die. Don't like let it fizzle or go away. And, you know, so I was right. But it wasn't like, really. you never know. I really didn't know. But I just, my gut was like screaming at me. Mm-hmm. You better say something. It just felt different. It felt yeah. Different, yeah, and so Tom Lord's my manager. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Right, so so he has Gabby, and I remember I just hearing it, and I was like, "Wow!" And, so, and I texted him, and I was like, "Yo," because I, I have nothing to do with picking songs right. for the most part. I'm like, "Yo, that like that's it. It's brutal. Like I don't know what's gonna happen. <laughs> but that's it. That song. Like that's it." Oh, and he was like, "I hope you know." And then he's okay. so funny. I hope. Yeah, yeah he's, like, <laughs> he's like, "You never know." I hope. And so the song. You got to give him credit. He ran up the flagpole with that thing. He ran up the flagpole <laughs> with her and then ran up with it. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, dude, you're forgetting about me. Like, let's <laughs> chill out. Yo, I'm, I'm in Costa Rica here, man. Come come down and visit me on set or something. Yeah. Um. So then I hear the Charlie Puth version. And all I remember thinking is I heard or like, ah, like a run at the beginning. And I was like, wait, that's not on this song. And so I hear it. and I'm like, oh, okay. So I asked somebody know who told me this and you can tell me if it's true or false i believe it's true even if you say false and i'm not even supposed to know if i should share this i don't have a filter so i'll tell you the truth yeah and and this could be partially off or maybe this story's been discussed in public but from what i know charlie just messaged gabby and was like hey that song's awesome we, can you send me like some uh, the stems yep that was it that's it and DM. Then, yeah and then she they she did but didn't really know what was yeah and then he just sent it back and was they, like they, i did this she asked zach and i uh, and was like, should I do this? And we said, it's Charlie Puth. Yes. I mean, yes. Amazing. And do it. stems, uh, l- let me... Like uh, all the tracks behind yeah. the musical With stuff. With no vocals. And yeah. what's funny about that song is those stems ended up being what um, Zach and our, a couple of our buddies did that day for the demo. They just, a lot of those just got passed over and ra- uh, like Ross took those and added bass and drums and stuff. Like it, her vocal from that record was the demo vocal. Really? It was literally one or two takes of that demo. That's how good she was on that day. And I didn't really realize how powerful her voice was because I had to go trick-or-treating with my little man. So I didn't hear the whole vocal until I just got it, you know, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is insane. So When you get the Charlie version. It's crazy. I didn't even know if it made sense at first. I was like, does this make sense? This is amazing. I'm I'm in. <laughs> and did you wonder if you? Because I get it. You're like, does this make sense? Do I love it so much because it sounds good? But does it also yeah. still make sense? Yeah, as a as an a, entity, yeah. like the yeah. story. Yeah. And so that again, it's it like was allowed to breathe a new, bigger life because it became a monster pop song yeah. too. Yeah. And you guys didn't have anything because again, he just sent it back. Right? It was like, hey, this is it. I, I hope yeah. you like it. Yes. That's was, so crazy. And what's crazy. In those situations, like, Nashville's a different place for the artists. If, if they change a line, if they do stuff to the song, 
they're very kind about it. Typically, they know the writers don't have any touring income, and they're you know our life is whatever the song is. And a lot of times in LA, that's different. They they will take a large portion on the song, um, and I fully expected a, a name like that who just had a big, huge couple number one worldwide number ones to take a big part. He was so completely fair in like what he asked for on the song that I was like shocked. I was shocked, and I said that yeah, that's great, no question. Don't even negotiate do it because he's adding so much interest to it that it, it makes it so fun for me to be part of you know i think we all grew up listening to country and pop and like mm-hmm. hip-hop and everything so it didn't really like rub me wrong to have him on there it was awesome i was like oh another another cool like avenue for this song to agree like. i never felt weird about it no because it was cool. gabby also could do both while not losing her integrity, yeah, because she naturally is that when yeah. she sings, and so that I guess I never even thought about that because there are some songs, you know, whenever uh, George Jones put Snoop Dogg on a record. Now I'm just saying this to not, not really. Is that a record? No, but oh, just that'd be amazing. Not really to uh, Give point a the finger at anybody. But when somebody really, and then they put on a hip hop artist, and it doesn't make sense. You're like. I get what you're where you're trying to go, yeah. but it doesn't really work. But with Gabby, that works because you her integrity is she could kind of straddle that line. Yeah, like Carrie, and not, not to not to compare them because they're both blonde big singers, but Carrie could do the same thing and did the same thing for so long. Yeah, that we believed it, and she did pop and country because it was true, and it makes her audience, you know, maybe it pulls a lot of her audience into that world that that are all this, But I, I think more than anything. People discovered Gabby because, oh, Charlie, I know Charlie. What's Gabby? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, wow. This is amazing. So I think it helped, helped both of them, honestly. You know what song I like is, She got the moochies. Whatever she's got. David Nail, yeah. whatever she's got, right? That's what. That's fun. That one, that's a really good song. It was fun. That was a. That's fun. a long time ago. Yeah, like nine, eight or nine, ten years ago even. Was was that one of your first number ones? That was like, maybe, that was the second number one, but it we wrote it first. Mm-hmm. We wrote it like it was before. I had uh, Tip It On Back for Dirks, and then I had like a song really like earlier called Glass for Thompson Square. But whatever she's got was the one where everybody was like, okay. Like yeah, that Luke, song's awesome. Luke called me and was like, can you, you want to write? I like this David Nail song. Can we write some songs? Mm. You know? So people, other artists heard it. Yes. It and, opened my, every door opened from that song. All of the Keith stuff, you know, was partially because of that. Keith actually was going to cut that song. And I think he put a vocal on that song. But then it, it just didn't feel like his project he was doing at the time. And they were all working together in the same, and David Nail was on the same record label. And thank God David cut it and sings it higher than anyone ever human. That song should. is still awesome. Yeah, it feels like brand new. I was mm-hmm. like, it's crazy. Uh, when you talk about Keith, I just want to talk about choruses, but I want to, a couple of the, the Keith, well, the one for sure is the, um, when the time was possible, uh, Miranda, Keith and Miranda, we were us. Oh, was it so? Oh, yeah. that's it, yeah. Yeah. We were I'm us. Straight melody here. Oh, it's a balls of, yeah. <laughs> or lack of melody for me. No, it's no. probably, I'm nailing it. I'm nailing it. Give me a break. Uh, what's, what's the key in your mind to a chorus working melodically? Because there, you guys, uh, there's some strong ones. It just depends. Like most of it is like what mood I'm in that day. But I, I'm always that song was all about the feeling and the up tempo. And and we tried to write that song in the morning with uh, Thomas Rhett. Me and Jimmy like played him a little thing with just two lines from that chorus. And he was having like his day was not going well. He got a call from his label. It was like hell hellacious. So we wrote a different song. Or half of a different song that day. We were like four half songs, and then he's like, "I gotta go." So in the afternoon, Nicole came in and we wrote that little chorus to finish that out. And and she's like, "Well, I would love to do this as a duet. I've had people asking for duets." And so a lot of it was Nicole and I come from similar backgrounds. She's like from the middle of nowhere. I'm from yes, the middle of nowhere. Yeah. So we we're just like, let's talk about our towns, but not put anything in between them. And so that melody, I think, is almost a non-melody. It's like a couple of notes that are just so in that. The tension of the pulling on the different, you know, it's all about tension for me. The chord's major, and then there'll be a little bit of tension because there'll be one that's right out of the chord and it pulls back down the whole time. And that kind of like mentally 
feels like catchy. Um, and then there's melodies like, uh, you know, Break Up in the End, that chorus melody is very high and very, like, starts low and goes crazy high. But, you know, and I, I've always liked, like, Somewhere Over the Rainbow and songs with actual crazy melodies. Um, but those are not, in our genre, all that as common because it's so lyrically heavy and lyrically driven. You can't fit as many lyrics in those kind of melodies a lot of times. So, um, You write melody for... Not all the time, universally, but do you prefer to, or does it come to you melody first or lyrics first? Just those two. What keeps story? Just melody or lyrics? First. First. Um, yes. Yes. Yeah, that's not an answer. No, I think um, most of the time it's, it's, uh, it's lyric for me. I'm, I'm very much. Do you keep lyrics in your phone? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like never ending. All day. It's annoying, actually. Every movie, every single TV show, every time I talk to anybody, it's just like a annoying habit sponge my, my parents think that i'm like a jerk sometimes because i'll be on my phone and i'll be literally like writing down things they've said and uh, they're like you should probably get off your phone sometime I'm like I'm, I, I, I'm working i do that too but i'm just on twitter and i tell my wife i'm writing songs yeah yeah it's the it's exactly the opposite that, yeah. yeah uh you're actually looking at electric cars no you mentioned two just talking to people that i really think are good and admire professionally also am with a bit socially is Nicole Gallion, Ross Copperman both. Yeah. And have you worked with both of them a lot? Yes. They were very early on. We like like you have your buddies, your class, mm-hmm. Dan and Shay, you, you know. That's my first one of my first co writes after getting a deal was Nicole. Um, and she was like, I don't even know if I can do this and she was an assistant to some manager and you know, we've known each other a long time. And then Ross, maybe the third or fourth co write in town, you know. That he was in town. I was you guys ever 10 get, years before that. But. Still, do you guys still write together? Yes, all the time. Really? Yeah. I wrote with Ross, Ross and Brett Young yesterday, and Nicole and I wrote, you know, probably once a month, you know. So I've never actually revealed this, but I can. And this won't be the, I mean, I, well, who cares? So so you made out with Ross? Or, oh, I, I'm kidding. No, it was just Ross. Yeah, not Nicole. <laughs> Nicole filmed. Oh, yeah. It was, it was a good one, though. So this is where you came up in my life and it probably never got to you but a few years ago maybe four because the pandemic's kind of yeah we count, shaped we deduct two years from life yeah it's tough but maybe four years ago i was talking with ross and i said hey i have this idea i was watching the news or i was watching like 60 minutes or one of those news type shows that goes on and in japan they have this hologram that was a pop star uh-huh. and like a dead pop star Nope. Live. Okay. Created. She never existed, but it was a hologram of a character that was also a pop star. Perfect. And she was selling tickets to these shows. And so I go to Ross and I say, hey, man, I watched this story. Why could we not do this? But here's 10 openers on 10 different tours. It's a hologram. Like, how... <laughs> So to him, like as a kind of a business idea, I say, and there's a hologram now. I say, this business model doesn't cost much to do. I mean, no. I have no idea how to make a hologram. It can be a cartoon in my mind. It doesn't matter. Yes. We can have this fictional cartoon, not real human. We can have it have a hit, but we can send it on tour with 10 people at the same time as the baby Amazing. act. And you just need a couple people to run it. All good. And he's like, Ross, you sing it. Whomever. I just, yeah, at the wait, time, just it's just some. like, it's just like, let's, and Ross is like, oh, you know, Ross. I know. Oh. And I'm like, it's like a money machine. You just yes. Pull the handle and, and Ross is like, oh, no, oh, no. Oh, what do we do? And I'm like, well, let me have some time on this. And I'm just thinking, how do we make oh. this work? And I go, okay, well, if we have some songs, I know the people that can do the visuals, but somehow we've got to make, the product really good to make everything else work. Yeah. The songs, you have to have hits. It's like anything. If you yeah. don't have the song, you have it's to like do nothing. It's like Millie Vanilli digitally. Got to have the song, yeah, though. Got to have, have good songs. Great, that's a great hit. You so know? I say to Ross, let's just go, let's just write some songs and not say anything about it and we'll it's create this, this group but they'll never know our identity. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. And he's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and so I said, who, do we, who should we do this with? Oh, dude. And he says, okay, I got a couple ideas. And he says, Nicole and you. Oh yeah, because super, super just, no band. He just loved he loved <laughs> loved what loved you loved what you did. 
And uh. he was like, well, we shouldn't do it with a big group because somebody will tell. Because we all sign NDAs. Oh, wow. And he goes, we need a girl. And he goes, and they're both excellent, awesome. He goes, let's talk to Nicole. And maybe we bring John if Nicole wants to do it or doesn't. We, did, we didn't have a plan. So we called Nicole. Yeah. I would have like, called her first too. And she's like, I'm in. Yeah. So we spent <laughs> months. No way. This is not real. This is real. This really happened. Huh? I'm, this is, I'm learning. We didn't this. talk about I, I've never revealed this, this is before. This is amazing. And Nicole, I, t- I took Nicole to perform on, I was hosting the Today Show for a week. And so I took her up to perform on the show. I was like, come up and perform. They'd let me bring in whoever I want. And so I said, hey, I'm going to bring up the Neon People stuff. Oh, it's called Neon People. Oh my gosh. I, I've never said that. It feels like I'm saying a bad word. I, I think I heard this in backwoods of Alabama driving down to the beach one time. You probably did. And I texted her and she denied it was her. We couldn't. We couldn't say anything about it. I was like, I know you. This is you. I heard it. Me and my wife were jamming it loud. So That's Neon People. We wrote these songs. What the? And we were just about to, and I remember we were just about to call you too. We'd written like 34 and cut them. And, we're, and then Nicole got the run in that label. Yeah. And she was like, I can't do this anymore. And we're like, no. We just spent all these months writing all these songs. We would go to Ross's house. Now you know what you it's know. like to be a songwriter. Oh, my God. You spend months and you have no hit. It's like, I wrote we, 300 songs for this. It's great. We record it. We put them out. They're on, they're on uh, streaming services, Spotify. They have hundreds of thousands of listens. No way. Oh, my so, gosh. But you, yeah. My point is, I'm so close with it. Neither one of them has ever told me. I've about never this. said anything about it either. I spend hours across from them on a weekly basis, and no one's ever said anything. That's un- That's a good NDA. So, that's and like we just wanted it, ironclad. the integrity of it. We wanted it to nobody to know because we wanted to put out these songs that were super positive. Can and, I see what the hologram looked like? Well, least? I'm going to show you. I'm pulling it up here. So it was neon PPL. We we had the whole thing, and so. Oh, I guess they've changed the background on it, but mm, well, there's no hologram here. But that was that was the the, the deal. Like one little town's got three hundred forty thousand views. Wow! And it was all to be anonymous and put out positive, and then create the, then create the hologram, and make much money, right? So, but yeah, that's where you came up, to dude. That's my time. kind of artistry, right there. We didn't want anybody to know it was us. I could still raise my babies, you know. I could not have to get on a. Yeah, but it, but it amazing. was but it was you. You were almost in this wow. failed venture. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you for saving me three months of my life writing songs that no one heard. That's amazing. But you, or three hundred thousand people heard those uh, so. for that one. Yeah, but if you Dude. heard Nicole singing on something, that was it. That was it. I texted her. She bl- she blatantly non lied, but she didn't really acknowledge it. She would not say that it was her. And and it's we crazy. we did it, and we are not selling holograms anywhere. And, oh. But it was a fun experiment. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I like. Going to a show and then somebody like messing up and like it feels real. We were gonna have the hologram mess up too, though. It was yeah. part of the plan. Oh, really? Yeah, like was gonna be, she was gonna be like, down. oh, I played the wrong chord. I'm sorry. It'd be cool if the hologram just falls off the stage mm-hmm. and all of it. We're we gonna amazing. take all the bloopers. Look, oh. you're, you're extremely successful in, in many ways. You're inspiring, but not quite on the neon people train. <laughs> you know, you could still write some songs for us. I'm still- in, I'm in. Um, you guys follow J Knight Rider, J N I T E Rider on Instagram. Um, in the intro we did for you, we talked about a lot of your songs. So oh, man, I appreciate uh, that's all there. And right now, the, your other Gabby songs on the chart. Yeah, we talked about a minute ago, and and I told you I feel good about it. I, so I, I asked that: Are you in the Gabby camp now? I I think so. Yeah, like who she yeah. trusts, and when it's like, yeah, we need to focus with people that I believe in. She calls you. She definitely is like very thankful that we were cannot believers and you know early and you know she asked me about getting married early and all, like stuff like that you would ask you know an uncle or a buddy you yeah know? So that's awesome man she's she's sweet well I've really enjoyed this I would have enjoyed it too. more if we'd have been a neon people together <laughs> but it, it is what it is it's Re- never too late there's yeah. no you know it is it what is, is the now rules? What are the there rules? are no rules but it's like it's, pop it's there are no rules it's open it's uh, funny. Dude, good to talk to you. Congratulations on everything. Thanks for inspiring everybody. Oh, I didn't do crap. Real, yeah, same, same for you, man. It's uh, really cool to have you up here. And you know, I gotta I, tell you, that's a pretty cool looking headshot you have there. I, I took it on an iPhone. You did? Yeah. <laughs> you do photography? No. Oh, all right, never mind. All right, John Knight, everybody. <laughs> Thank you. 
This is the year to stop overpaying for your family plan. So choose a straight talk wireless family plan. Unlimited data, talk, and text on a reliable 5G network. And you can get a new line starting at $25 per line per month for four lines, plus taxes and fees and no contracts. That's good decision making. Available at Walmart and on straighttalk.com. Family plan discount with four lines, all on the silver unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. In times of traffic, your data may be temporarily slower than other traffic. Video streams at up to 480p. In every pair of Tacova's boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. Tacova's boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tacova store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. Visit Tacova's.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S dot com. And don't go gently, y'all. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at. Like a B&B with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers, or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit Kia.com to learn more. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always drive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.